Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are now well over 225 episodes and we are getting stronger. So it makes it more fun to be the podcast host when the audience is growing and when people are reaching out. Uh, that episode I did a while back, uh, several episodes ago on the uh, paradox of potential uh, has really gotten a lot of uh, people to actually reach out to me for different reasons. Uh, one was people were looking for the link to take the survey to help me out. But number two, people wanted to share their story about you know their own struggles with trying to live up to what they know is their potential. So if you haven't heard that episode, I would jump back. It's number 219 and listen to that one because uh, for some reason, people seem to like that one uh, more than usual. So check that out. Uh, today, we are going to jump into an interview with somebody who is in sort of a different industry. I haven't talked to a lot of people in the real estate development industry, but I always try to remember that, you know, entrepreneurs do so many different things that I have to bring a wide variety of people here. And uh, Mark Podolsky, he's also known as the Land Geek, and he's widely considered the country's most trusted and foremost authority on buying and selling raw, undeveloped land in the United States. Now, that's something that when I heard about him, I hadn't actually thought a lot about, but I guess, you know, we still have a lot of raw, undeveloped land in this country. I mean, there's a lot of landmass between the coasts, and I hadn't really thought about it, but that is what he does, and uh, he actually has his own podcast, The Art of Passive Income, and, uh, you know, this guy is somebody who has uh, been doing this now, gosh, since 2001, and I love entrepreneurs who have that track record of 15, 16 years because they really have a perspective and I think a lot of good advice to share. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored. So, you know, I don't know anything about raw land development, and I don't know that very many of my audience members do. Why don't you tell everybody about your business? Sure. So, basically, I call it the best passive income model, right, or the ultimate subscription model if you're in software. <laughs> so, basically, it's a one-time sale, and then we get our money out usually on the down or within six months of the down. And then we have this passive income coming in on an owner finance note. So it's a one-time sale. We get passive income coming in on the note without any renters, without rehabs, without renovations, without rodents. And because we're not dealing with a tenant, we don't have the onerous uh, real estate legislation that typical uh, real estate investors have that you know buy a single-family home and, and rent it, such as uh, Dodd-Frank, RESPA or the SAFE Act. So the way that I do it essentially is I look for somebody that is advertising to me. They no longer want their property. So Tom, let's imagine that you uh, own property in California and you live, where do you, where do you live, Tom? I actually live in Austin, Texas. So you live in Austin, Texas. I love Texas. Okay. So I send you a quote unquote top dollar offer, 20 to 30 cents a dollar. And three to 5% of those people accept it because They've been getting notices in the mail that they're going to lose their property at some point. So something is better than nothing. We then close on that property very quickly. We do our due diligence very inexpensively, very quickly. And then we sell that property um, typically for a cash flip at a 300% return on investment. Or my favorite way to sell it is on a note 
at about a thousand percent return on investment, and we don't have to deal with any of those typical headaches. So, and because we use land contracts, there's no costs of foreclosure. So, honestly, it's just shuffling paper and making money, and it allows me to really go out and do the things I really want to do in life. And uh, I love it. I absolutely love the model. So how do you get someone to buy the land after you buy the land? I don't understand. Okay, so after I buy the land, we typically flip it within 30 days, and we make it irresistible. Typically a car payment, right? $249 down, $249 a month. And there's a huge like, market in this country for people that want to own land. Um, you know, preppers, uh, people that want to use it recreationally, people that want to have it as an investment, uh, hedge against inflation. I have uh, a CEO that, that invests about $5,000 a month in raw land. He's never even been out there. He just thinks it's cool to own and building up his, his uh, balance sheet for his banker. And so I guess the, the long-term hope is that society moves out to where this raw land is? Absolutely. Um, you know, either it's going to be in the path of growth or, you know, maybe they just want somewhere to bug out to. Maybe they just want something that, uh, you know, they can call their own. And, you know, the typically, you know, farmland's a thousand bucks an acre. We're buying properties that are so inexpensive. Uh, I mean, a good example is uh, I bought a five acre parcel in Colorado for $1,200 and I sold it for, you know, over 15000 But $15,000 isn't a lot of money for five acres, right? And um, they can go out there. There's roads. There's utilities. They can do whatever they want on it. And, you know, it's, it's affordable for just about everybody. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you didn't wake up at like 17 years old and say, I'm going to go develop and sell raw land. What did, what did you do originally in your career? So I was an investment banker, and I hated it. So I was working <laughs> in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And I'm looking at companies all day long. And a great company, a great company has over 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow, right? Your average company is at 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long under 10%. So my firm hires this guy and he tells me he's going to these tax deed auctions and he's buying up land for like next to nothing and he's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on investment. Well, Tom, I'm from St. Louis. I'm from Missouri. We're the show me state. So I don't believe him. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out there with you. I've got like $3,000 saved for car payments. And sure enough, I buy like 10 half-acre parcels at an average price of 300 bucks. Sure enough, I put them up online, and I sell them at an average price of $1,200. So I say to my wife, I'm like, look, I, I think I'm onto something here, right? She's like, no, 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 you know, I, I know you're miserable, but don't quit your job. So I go to another auction, and I do the same thing. There's no one in the room. This is like in 2000, Right. And that next auction, in, I bought up so much property with the proceeds from the first auction, and I made over $90,000 in cash on that next auction like in, in, over, in, in three months. So I say to my wife, I'm like, honey, I, I think I'm ready to quit my job. I, I can do this land investing full time. She's like, absolutely not. I've got, a, I've got a six-month-old at home. So for the next 18 months, I did land investing part time as I worked full time as an investment banker, which I absolutely hated. And then once the land investing exceeded the investment banking income, I quit, and I've been doing it ever since full-time. I've done over 5,000 land flips. Um, this, this year, we've done over 160 uh, uh, deals. So I talked to a lot of people who had jobs, like their lawyers or their investment bankers or their accountants, and, and they, they, did, they didn't love it. What is it that you hated about sort of corporate America? 
I hated the commute. I hated the 45-minute commute to work and back. Uh, I hated being micromanaged. I hated not feeling like I had total control. Um, I didn't love the culture of the business. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we'd have to kind of stretch the truth to get business. It didn't feel good. So that's, that's what I hated. So now, how many years ago did you make the full-time leap to working for yourself? In 2001. So since 2001, what is it now that you absolutely love about this life of entrepreneurship? I love the freedom. I love the flexibility. I love the total control aspect of it. So, you know, give you an example. This morning, I had coffee with my wife. I really didn't start working until about 11, right? And I just had that flexibility in my schedule. And because we have such um, a nice passive income, you know, stream that exceeds our fixed expenses, I can kind of work when I want, where I want, with whom I want. And, you know, that big bucket of money is, is you know, of, of, a, of a stress is sort of taken off the table for me now. Um, I've got three kids and I can spend as much time with them as I want. I never miss, you know, an activity. I never miss a play or a game, uh, a, you know, a dance recital, whatever it is. And not having to commute, um, not having, you know, and, and having total control where it's, you know, full responsibility is on me. If things are going well, it's on me. If things aren't going well, it's on me. And then just being able to, you know, grow, right? And I love, I love the game of business and I love reading and I love my podcast and talking to entrepreneurs and other experts and just selfishly learning and then taking what I've applied and, and using it for my business and, and growing it. So, you know, you bring up an answer that is probably the most common answer that I get here on the show when I ask people about, you know, what is it that you love? You know, you talk about sort of that freedom. So there's a lot of people who who feel they aren't free. I think there's a the huge swath of the population who feel that they have, you know, really sort of super potential to go out there and, and, and create and do and, and be more, maybe be their own boss, you know, maybe create that lifestyle, but they feel stuck. So what advice do you have for somebody who, who maybe is thinking, you know, God, I'm, I'm listening to Mark. I, I want to do what Mark does. I mean, maybe not exactly what you do, but just to have that type of freedom. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to launch their own path in the world? You know, I think about this all the time. And I think really, if, it depends on where you're at in life, right? Because the person who's just out of college, um, working a nine to five, maybe in a cubicle that's miserable, is different than the person who has a wife and a family and they have, they have res real responsibilities. Um, you know, that person has a different path for themselves to become free than the person who's in their twenties. Right. Um, I would tell the person in their twenties to go for it. You can live on ramen noodles and you'll be just fine. Right. <laughs> uh, I would tell the person in their thirties with a young family, don't quit your job, get a side hustle, make sure that you're developing your skills and you've, you know, you've got a, a, a proof of concept, right? Get customers first, have a market first. And then once your income on that side is really close to replacing your job income and save, 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 so you have a big cushion, then you can become free. But be responsible about it, right? Don't give it up. Don't say, I don't have time, I can't do it. Do it on the weekends, do it at nights, get up earlier. You know, manufacture time because it's worth it in the long run, right? Yeah, it's short-term pain for long-term amazing gains, right? But that's what I would, I would tell that person for sure. 
Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, <clears throat> I was interviewed recently and the question was, do you have any regrets? And I said, my only regret is I didn't start my own business when I was younger. I wish I could go back and, and be in my 20s before I had sort of the mortgage and the children and, and all that and really had found a path to create sort of my own income streams and and to be able to do my own thing. And you're absolutely right that that's really, I mean, you know, what the heck? So you go out and you try and you don't fail. I actually, uh, uh, when my youngest daughter was born, my wife got the sort of promotion of a lifetime for her. And she was, her plan had been to be a stay-at-home mom. And they came to her while she was on maternity leave. They didn't know she was going to leave. And they said, surprise, we're going to promote you to the job you've wanted for seven years. And she really didn't want the kid in daycare, at least for the first year. And so she came to me and said, I have an idea. Why don't you quit your job? I, I wasn't really happy. I wasn't really, you know, there. And I, I talked to some mentors in the business community who told me, oh, no, no, no. I was 30 years old. They're like, you, you can't walk away from your career. Even for a year, you'll never, you'll never get back in the game. And what was so interesting is, is that I did it. I stayed home for two years. And when it was time to get back in the game, I had a little trouble finding that first opportunity to get back into corporate America. But once I did, six months later, I was picked up by another company at a salary that was double what I had ever earned. And for the rest of the time I was working in corporate America, I never looked back. And I always thought, how interesting that all these people told me, oh, no, you can't do that. And yet just the opposite happened. People actually wanted to hire me because I had been a stay-at-home dad because they liked the fact that I had taken that risk. And so I kind of tell the younger people, if you have a risk, whether it's starting your own business or you know, traveling around the world. I had one friend, he was 25, he got laid off, and he wanted to take his little bundle of money and go travel the world and then go back into real estate. He's, he's in land development, and he wanted to go back and do that. And his parents were like, no, oh my gosh. And I'm the same age as his parents. And I'm like, yes, do it. Do it now. And he did like a four-month trip, had the time of a lifetime, came back and found a great job. For the last three years, he's just crushing it. So I think you're right with that advice to the young people. It's like, whew, now is the time. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think you gave great advice as well. Like, you know, I, you know, parents worry. I've got three kids. I worry, right? But I don't want them to be slaves, right? I want them to fully live life. And I really think that the only way to fully live life is to fully live it and not you know, be at somebody else's sort of, you know, I don't know. You know, you don't want to work for someone else's dream. You want to work for your own dream. And when you're young, you have that energy, you have that enthusiasm. And the best way to learn is to go out and take risks. And yeah, I fail every day, right? I mean, I always say that like my kids, like it's, you know, business is like skiing in the sense that if, if you're not falling when you're skiing, you're not skiing hard enough. Right, you've got to fall, <laughs> and if you're not, if you're if you're comfortable all the time, then something's wrong. Like like the the real beauty of business is being out on that edge and taking those risks and not knowing and and you know having your heart pump and getting up at five in the morning because you can't wait to get to the work that you're going to do and see what you create and see how the market reacts to it. And then pivot. I mean, it's it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing on earth, right? Um, so I. I would say, you know, life is short. You've, you've got to go for it. And for a lot of people that, that take that, uh, you know, quote unquote, you know, they don't risk it and they, they, they go that, that sort of the corporate route. Like I would say you're, you're taking a huge risk. And if you're <laughs> going to, if you're going to take a risk, you might as well take a risk for yourself. Um, and, and, and do that. I mean, how many times have we seen the person, in the fortune 300 executive position get fired? Right. <laughs> right. And they weren't loving it anyways. 
Well, and that's sort of what happened to me. I took the safe route as a kid. I wanted to be an actor. And my parents didn't really shine on that idea very much. They didn't like try to crush it, but they very much were like, why don't you go get a business degree or some other college, you know, experience. And, you know, then after you've worked a few years, if you want to go try it. And in reality, I probably should at 18 have just gone, you know, and, and tried it. And here's the worst part of the whole thing, Mark. I grew up in Los Angeles. So like to not have – to have wanted to have done this as much as I did and to have never tried – now, it was a different world. Of course, I couldn't just Google how to be an actor, how to find an agent or where to take classes. I, there was more effort involved and I just didn't know how to do it. And my I was a pleaser. My parents didn't want me to go down that path. And I don't think I was ever happy until I launched my career eight years ago as a professional speaker and master of ceremonies because I think to some extent – it's like being an actor. I get to get up and perform and make people happy and, you know, have have an interaction with an audience. And I think I was able to fill that childhood dream. But I have a daughter who wants to be an actress and she's very concerned about sort of career. She has a, a sister who is a business major in college and is very business oriented. She's very concerned if she tries to be an actress, she could, you know, be living in an apartment, you know, over a garage or something. And my answer is you don't have to go forever. Go try. If you don't make it, you know, you can do something else. But, you know, if you want to be an actress, let's let's take classes. Let's find you an agent. And so at 15, we found her an agent and she's taking classes. And, you know, I'm trying to do what my parents didn't do. And, and, and they were great parents. Don't get me wrong. They just thought that the safe route was the better way. And so with my kids, you know, I don't want them doing anything stupid, but I am trying to hopefully, you know, encourage them to at least, you know, jump in the pool. If you have to climb out and go do something else, that's cool too. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. It's such good advice. And a lot of the things that we think are going to make us happy really end up making us miserable, right? I mean, you could get a great job at a, at a company making $250,000 a year, and next thing you know, you've just enslaved yourself with a bigger mortgage and a bigger car. Yep, I right? was there. I did maybe, it. Maybe you joined the country club, and now you're stuck, Yep, right? Absolutely. No, in fact, I the, uh, the only reason I ever took the leap, people say, oh, you know, you took this leap and, and just became a solopreneur and created your own your own world as a speaker. And I said, yeah, well, I got laid off, you know, and there were no jobs in the recession. I mean, April 2009, you know, that was the bottom of the recession. There were no jobs. I had to do something. And fortunately, I had this skill as a presenter and I was able to, to, to put it to work and it grew into something. And by the time the recession had turned the corner – I was making as much money as I was making in corporate America. So it was, you know, I was able to do that. But I was lucky because I had the right people around me. And when you were telling your story, you talked about how one of the guys you worked with kind of exposed you to what has now become your business. How important do you think people are? How important is your network to being able to find happiness and, and success as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I collect mentors like I collect baseball cards when I was a kid. Uh, I think it's the most important thing because – you're only one person, but the more you expand your network, that collective intelligence, the return on investment of spending time with people that are smarter than you or have more experience than you is unbelievable. I, I really believe, I know it's kind of hokey to, to kind of say, I'm sure you heard it time, time again, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most, right? Sure. Jim, Jim Rohn's I'll, famous quote. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, it's so true. And if you're hanging out with people that, um, you know, don't have the same type of ambition, don't have the same sort of goals or vision or dreams and, you know, are holding you back, it's hard to do, but you've got to go out and meet and network and, you know, rub elbows with, you know, people that you want to be like and, and then see that it can be done, right? I mean, there's no, there's a great book called The Talent Code. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and the talent code ta- makes the argument there's no such thing as talent, right? That these people work really, really hard when they're kids and they have like, you know, the motivation because they want to get out of their bad neighborhood, but they also have amazing mentors and they've seen in their neighborhood somebody go out and, and become like an NBA player. So they know it can happen. It can be them. They can, they relate to them. So it, it's, I, I agree. I, I, I think talent is way overrated. Well, and, and people get to hang out when they listen to podcasts. I mean, right now they're hanging out with, you know, you and with me and they get to hear different stories. And, and again, they can relate to that even if, you know, we're not sitting in the same room. And that's why I think podcasts are such a great, are such a great uh, venue for people to listen to, especially interview style podcasts where it's like this, where it's a casual, you know, conversation about where things go. So you've hosted, you know, a couple different podcasts. What do you think the best part of being a podcast host has been for your career? Well, I, I think that it's just what I said that I, you know, selfishly, I can talk to these, you know, people like you that have all this experience, all these different backgrounds, and and you know, collect these mentors in, in a way that they don't even know they're they're providing all this value to me. Um, it's a very selfish endeavor for me to podcast, and yeah, um, I get to ask the questions I want to ask and and learn what I want to learn, and and hopefully my audience is getting the same value i know they are but it's it's tremendous uh you know way to 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 learn more well i've been Uh, teaching yeah i've been teaching skills of you know your network and your brand and in in corporate jobs and in, in in work for gosh you know over 10 years and i've never found a tool that is easier for me to meet people interesting successful people I've never found a single tool that's more powerful than this podcast. I've only had two people I've ever invited who weren't famous. I mean, I've tried to get a couple celebrities and they blew me off. But, you know, I've reached out to CEOs of big companies like, uh, you know, we had the CEO of Ghirardelli Chocolate on. I've talked to people who are some of the, the most successful professional speakers, people in my world, you know, who you wouldn't get to otherwise, who ask them to be on the show. Sure, I'll come on the show and share my, my thoughts. And then afterwards, some of these people become ongoing friends of mine. So I think it's been a great tool for me as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I had, uh, you know, Sharon Lecter on who co-wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Grant Cardone and uh, the CEO of... Uh, uh, you know, one eight hundred got junk. Who's doing a million a day in revenue? And like to pick their brains is amazing. And I, <laughs> I agree. Like without that podcast, I couldn't just email them and say, "Hey, I got some questions. Do you mind answering them?" <laughs> that's right. And now I've got Mark Podolsky. So that's, I mean, that's cool too. And Mark, I've got more questions for you. But first, this is a great segue. I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, the training, and the guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Mark Podolsky. I tell you what, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, and Mark and I have just let the secret out of the bag that it is a great networking tool, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and look at the offer that they have, special offer, for the listeners of this show. So Mark, I call this podcast Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is something new and exciting and cool that you're doing with your business right now? I just developed my own software program called Lone Geek. So (laughs) this is the first time where I actually got so frustrated with the current marketplace of tools to help me manage all my loans, right? That I just said, screw it. 
and I hired a Silicon Valley developer and it's been an amazing journey. I've made so many mistakes, <laughs> but we are coming out of beta wave two now and I really think we have something of value to share with the world. And even if it doesn't go big with the world, it helps me personally in my business and uh, I, I, I love it. So um, that has been a really cool and fun project for me is developing this automated way of getting paid. So we can get paid via ACH. We can get paid via credit card. If the credit card fails, it charges the ACH. If the ACH fails, it charges the credit card. Like every pain point I've ever had with borrowers has been solved with this software. Because look, Tom, you can always make more money, but you can't get more time. And this saves time. And if done right, can actually become a profit center for you. It's amazing. I love it. Awesome. That is cool. Hey, so I love to ask the people on the show, not just about their businesses, but about who they see out there. Because I think that great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. I think they're always watching who else is doing something cool. So I love to ask the guests on the show, who do you see out there who's doing something interesting? You, I mean, you probably hear this all the time, but you know, between Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, who, you know, who's cooler? <laughs> well, that, that we could have an entire poll. We could, do, we could do a survey monkey to find out the answer to that. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know. So what, but, is it, uh, what is it about them that you find cool? I love the vision. I love the vision. I love, I love the long-term approach that Jeff Bezos has on value and value creation versus short-term profits. He really doesn't care right now about making a profit. Every dollar gets reinvested back into growing that business, and they're doing so many cool things. They go into so many industries, and it's, it's amazing just that – just taking that vision and just, you know, being so bold and 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 so and thinking so big, right? And then Elon Musk does the same thing. He thinks so big. He's like, yeah, you know, why don't we just change the entire world? And you know, instead of being you know dependent on fossil fuels, let's let's you know let's change it. And hey, if we screw up Earth, let's go to Mars, right? <laughs> SpaceX. Um, so. Just, just that that way of thinking big and executing, and and that that vision is unbelievably cool to me. Well, and I read a book by Peter Diamonds, and it was the same thing. And it was all about you know don't just think to you know this level, think ten levels out. And you're right; those people, if if, if more of us who are entrepreneurial were able to push the the outlying sides of that envelope to think that big, I think we could all do even more than we're already doing. No, I, I agree 100. percent I mean, inc- incremental improvement doesn't make any sense. You got to think massive. Well, I'm trying to think massive now with the podcast. So, uh, uh, you know, from this episode forward, we're going bigger, man. We're going big. Hey, oh, Tom, after this, like you should have your own show on TV. There you go. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And be syndicated and, and take over like, you know, a show on CNN. Well, Oprah, that's, that's, that's 10 xing it. Oprah's Oprah. spot is open right now. She's not doing much. So, Hey, yeah. I mean, why, why, why can we start like our entrepreneurial, uh, show? you know, and just do this on, on like cable. I, I'm ready. Let's do it. Hey, I, I'm ready. Hey, I always ask the people who come onto the show also what they do to give back to the greater good. Cause in addition to being observers, I think entrepreneurs want to do more than just make money. I mean, I like making money, but, but I think people want to leave a mark somehow. What is it that you do? Well, you know, the first thing I do is I teach people how to do what I do and there's nothing more gratifying for me to free somebody. So a good example is Scott Todd. Uh, he was at, you know, he's an executive fortune 300 company. Uh, I taught him my model his first year. He did 68 deals this year. He's, he's done over 170 deals. And 
he's completely free. He works off, you know, out of his boat in, in Florida. Uh, for me, giving back like that uh, is unbelievably gratifying. You know, when I get an email from somebody like PJ Riley said, hey, I made more money this year working part-time in my land business than I did in my full-time job is unbelievably gratifying. I had Mike Zeno, he was $40,000 in debt. Now he, he paid off all his debt last year and paid for his wedding in cash just by flipping raw land. So that's the first way I love getting back. The second way I love getting back is the traditional way of actually working with one of my mentors um, and his uh, foundation, ballstoall.org, and just um, helping grow that organization um, and you know promoting world peace through uh, soccer balls. I was going to say, do I dare ask world. what balls to all means? That was a... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my argument to Ori was, uh, hey, if everybody had like an Xbox in the world, you know, like there'd be, too, they, they, these kids would be too busy to like start, you know, to cause trouble. But that was too expensive. So we did balls to all. <laughs> hey, a soccer ball. That's a good, that's a good thing. A soccer ball. And then the third way I love getting back is um, I love... You know, I'm a, I'm a big coffee junkie. And whenever I'm in the Starbucks line, I always pay for the person behind me because I think to them myself, like, now they're going to have a better day, right? They're going to think, oh, you know, that was, that was crazy, right, that someone would do that. So I, lo- I love doing that. Yeah, am I really changing the world by, you know, giving a yuppie uh, a free cup of coffee? Probably not, but it makes <laughs> you feel good. And, no. and I think, what, you know, that yuppie could go out in the world in, in a better mood and maybe it will impact somebody. Yeah. But, but one of my clients, I challenged her who, who in your life, you know, uh, you know, do you have that, you know, just makes your day a little brighter. And she actually thought of the person at Starbucks who works behind the counter. And the next day she went in and told the person, you know, you always have a great attitude. You always are, are sort of so full of energy in this early in the morning and I haven't had coffee yet. And your smile always makes my day better. She said the woman a almost cried, but the next day she's standing in line. The woman comes out with her grande nonfat vanilla latte and hands it to her and just says, I was having a really bad week, and what you said yesterday changed my world, and gave her a big hug and sent her on her way. And I share this story now with people, not so they can find a way to get free coffee. It's because something is telling somebody that your smile brightens my day every day might just be what that person needed to hear at that moment. And I think sometimes we forget that, that everybody has their own stuff going on, and we don't know, so just be kind. Yeah, I I love that story. I'm going to steal that story. (laughs) <laughs> on my podcast, Tom. There you go. You can steal Actually, it. Actually, I used to have you on my podcast and tell that story. Well, there you go. I would love to come on your podcast. And I really, really am glad that we connected and that you came on my podcast. And I think you had some really good advice. And my guess is there's going to be a couple of people who go, wait a minute, law, raw land, that sounds like something that would interest me. And they're going to say, how do I find Mark Podolsky? Where, where is the land geek? How does somebody find you? Just on that, just thelandgeek.com. Thelandgeek.com, and you will find Mark. And I assume that if you reach out to people, you probably respond and are nice to them. I'm, I'm really nice. And if they tell me they came from Tom Singer's podcast, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know what I'm going to do, Tom? If they tell me they came from your podcast, I'm going to give them for free our passive income launch kit, which is a $97 uh, product for awesome. free. Awesome. You know, and is I hate. Nice? Is, and that, I, is that nice? That is no? so nice. And you know what? Usually people do that, and like nobody ever responds. So I'm hoping that somebody has listened to this far, and they go, "Oh yeah, I'm the guy who's going to respond." And they go to the Land Geek and get their free $97 passive income product. It might even be me who responds. Who knows? Hey, Mark, no, just 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 email, just email Mark at thelandgeek.com. Subject line: 
Uh, Tom Singer. Perfect. And I'll, I'll do it. That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this was a great interview, and I love it when people come on where I know that their advice is going to serve people well, and that's certainly what you have done today. So thank you so much for being a guest, and for everybody who listens. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Thanks for tuning in. You can visit us on Facebook and, and join our little community that we have on the Facebook page. You can send me a tweet, at Cool Podcast. Or if you're interested in getting more involved, we have the, the, the small but mighty Cool Things Project, the little group coaching program that we do. We have an online Zoom call every Monday where people just talk about what they're trying to do in, in their job or in their small business or their side hustle, where they're just trying to be a little more entrepreneurial. And it can be a lonely gig out there, especially if you're a solopreneur. And I know that because I've been doing it almost eight years. And uh, you got to surround yourself with some good people. And this is sometimes, for some people, a good place to start. So reach out to me at TomSinger.com. You can find out all the information you need to know. We're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Mark. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.